Baptist Church, Charlotte. for for our problems uh, you know how technology is anyway moving along our subject is lesson seven of uh, celebrate freedom which is to s- my title is to set a prisoner free that picture is actually a famous uh, 17th century uh, French artist uh, I think his name is Claude Vignon that's, that's, that's what I think it is um, anyway and it's lesson seven I want to start by reviewing where we have been uh, over the last few weeks. Um, week one of Celebrate Freedom, which really has been an attempt on our part to understand spiritually what it means to follow um, the leading of the Spirit out of bondage and into real spiritual real spiritual freedom. And so uh, the first week we talked about the two trees representing two different ways of uh, living our life and relating to both God and our created purpose. The tree of life represents a innocent relationship of supreme surrender, of intentional and total surrender to God, while the tree of the knowledge of evil represents our desire to compete with God. That's the fundamental two things. One of them, the tree of life, represents this innocence toward God, true surrender, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is us seeking to compete with God. And one of the signs of that is we judge everything, including God himself. We judge everything, ourselves, others, and the church, and including God himself. Um, the second week, we talked about the fruit of the knowledge of the of good and evil, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, and the idea there is when we consume that, um, and this is a representative picture, a teaching illustrative representative picture, when we consume that, um, it produces a change in us. It... it it, number one, isolates us from God. Um, and number two, it presents this, this victimization um, element to ourselves that we did not really perceive. Um, and now it's very, very comfortable, comfortable for us to blame others. Excuse me, I've got to cough real quick. <coughs> All right, back to it. Um, and so this is, this is what you see in the life of Adam and Eve, this spiritual death, this way of being contrary to God's creative intent, which was a life of surrender and innocence with him, um, that we might uh, be overwhelmed by his nature, not compete for dominance, where our nature takes dominance over over him. The third week, we talked about the life-giving fruit of the tree of life, which would produce in us an, an innocence, spiritual power, um, freedom from uh, bondage and fear, uh, and lead us to a natural relationship with, with God, as we were created uh, to have. Uh, week number four, we talked about living in right order. God God made us soul, a spirit, soul, and body. What we want to do is we want to lead uh, with the body, the needs of the body, the wants of the body. And then as we mature and become a stronger individual, then we want to lead with the wants of the soul. That's our personality, the uniqueness of what we are. And what the, the, the Lord wants us to do is to lead with the spirit, the spirit, the eternal God-breathed spirit within us. That is what he wants us to focus on. And let the things of the flesh and the particularities of the soul all come under correct uh, dominion of uh, the things of 
of the Spirit. Uh, this is what we try to do as a church family, as people seeking to know God to get together and believe one with another um, in the kingdom of God. We seek. Uh, to lead with the Spirit. And this is why disciplines like prayer and fasting is so important. Uh, that is how you feed the Spirit. Um, uh, you know, giving your flesh what it wants, whether it's, well, you get the idea. That's leading with the body. Uh, that's leading even with the uniqueness of our personalities, the soul. Um, this is not the way to eternal, eternal life. The fifth week, we talked about the condition of our heart, that our words and our actions reveal the conditions of our heart and the selfishness, the bitterness, rejection. Evil thoughts serve as heart blockages. Uh, we must invite the Holy Ghost to cleanse us and fill us uh, with His Spirit. And then finally, week six, we talked about, and this was last week, living a life of surrender, truly surrendering to God, not partially not just in one or two areas of our life, but to learn how to stop the self-deception of control. When we seek to control our lives, um, it's a self-deception. We do not have control. Um, and instead, faith invites us to give away what we do not have, control, in order to gain that which we do not deserve, which is God's presence uh, in in our life. So we've come a, a long way. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, the key takeaway from six weeks of Bible study is that uh, the tree of life represents right relationship with God. The only way it's possible to us uh, is through Jesus Christ. The only way we have access back to the presence of God, the Garden of Eden, back to life and life more abundantly, the tree of life. The only way we have that is through Jesus Christ. He has ascended on high. He has lived a perfect life. And then he has given us his report card. He has lived a perfect life. And then he has given us his report card. And so we have a perfect report card when we cast our cares upon him, know he cares for us, repent of our sins, and surrender to the great work he has done. He is the ultimate interlocutor, the ultimate intercessor. He is the ultimate perfect life between us and judgment. Uh, that is why we're worshipers. Um, sometimes we're good, sometimes we're not so good, but we're always worshipers. <laughs> sometimes we come to church prayed through, sometimes we drag into the church service, but we're always worshipers. God, spare us from ever having a, a, a culture that does not have worship as a fundamental part um, of it. And so uh, through six lessons of Celebrate Freedom, we have focused on understanding, focused on understanding uh, the two different ways of knowing God, two different ways of serving God. Uh, we focused on understanding. And now um, there's going to be a slight different tact uh, to the path we're selling on here. And now we're going to talk about um, the practical side, the actions. Um, I, I encourage you to refer back to this understanding um, and to let the motif of the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, represent to you continually and repeatedly how the more you live in criticism, cynicism, and comparing yourself with others, the less you will have any sense of innocence, childlike faith. It'll be impossible to you. 
the le- the more you come to church looking at who is holy enough to be there, uh, the less spiritual life you're going to have. Um, this motif is all through uh, Genesis, and then when you get to the New Testament, it is shown in triplicate between the style of worship between that's represented by the Pharisees and the style that Jesus is trying to teach us. What do I want to be set free from? I want to I want to get out of the business of criticizing other people. I want to get out of the business of being cynical about um, the intentions of other people. I want to learn how to stop criticizing myself, stop criticizing others. I want to perceive the innocence that's available to someone who simply cast their cares upon their uh, upon the Lord. I want to stop the spiritual death of comparing myself one with another. It's just, it's the end. Now, I know there's churches that do it. I know there's Christians that you can't spend three minutes in their presence without them telling you about what some other Christian's doing, some other buddy's child's doing, some other church is doing. I'm telling you, and I say this uh, as sincerely as I can, that is what death culture looks like. That is Pharisee death culture. I don't want to comment on who's failing. I don't want to hear the news of, of, of who's dropped the ball. I don't want to talk about how that church is getting it wrong. I really don't. I really don't. There's no life there. That is death culture. And it's not, look, if I'm going to live in death culture, I need to get out of this business of trying to help people. I need to go back into business or something. I need to go go back and be a developer or something. I, 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 if that is what is right, I, I, then I know, I, I know nothing and I, I, I need to do something else. I am 100% sincere on this. And I, I say this to all of you as gently and as lovingly as I can, if that's what you're looking for in a church, where you notice, I'm, I'm going to drive you crazy. First church is going to drive you crazy. That is not what we're aiming for. You would do better to find a church who has that vision. And you go do you. Excuse me, I'm about to knock the mic over. I'm so excited. That's not what we're going for. I don't want a culture where we're reviewing people who's having a bad year. Oh, come on. You're having a bad year and you're the reason why everybody else is having a bad year. Stop it. Get off that death heap. Seek the innocence of a child. Cast your cares on the Lord. Assume the best about, okay, let's move along. We have, through these six lessons, we've talked about understanding an approach to God, a way of living, turning away from death culture, turning away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where we blame others, judge ourselves, judge God, and instead we go back to that innocence of a child that we try as best as within us to hear no evil and see no evil. So now we're talking about practical applications. We've talked six weeks about understanding. Now we're going to talk about actions. And the first one we have to talk about, absolutely first one, is forgiveness. We have to talk about forgiveness. Because if you do not begin works of repentance and works of forgiveness in your life, um, there is no hope of you finding the innocence of a child simply believing the promises of God. Now, let me read Ephesians 1 and 7. He, the Lord Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he did what? He forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. And there's a great quote from um, Louis uh, Samedes. 
I may be mispronouncing his last name. I, I did not look it up. Um, he has a, a tremendous book called The Art of Forgiving. And, and this is really an inspirational quote to me. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that that prisoner um, was you. Uh, we live in a fallen world and we face the realities of hurt. We face the realities of offense. Uh, there is uh, evil in the world. Let's not low rate that. Let's not in some way try to minimize that. There is evil in the world. The question for us is whether or not our faith is going to let us like like a level to being balanced. Are we going to fall off into cynicism or are we going to fall off into hope? Because we balance on this tightrope. The world is full of evil. And if we focus upon that, we could fall off into evil. What is the result of that? Not so much that we become people of evil. We're already people capable of evil. Does that make sense? The point is, is that we would end up in that cynical world that goes like this. Um, the evil in the world outweighs the goodness in the world. We become those who fall off into despair, cynicism, skepticism. Evil is ever more powerful than good. On the other hand, uh, we can believe the world has more goodness in it because of God's gift in God's kind heart because he said he's not going to leave us in this place but he came to pay our debt when we consider the highest good it causes us to fall off into hope not cynicism so we live out a life that answers this question uh, is the evil in the world capable of destroying the good or is the good in the world capable of just overcoming the evil? Uh, where do I stand? Where should you stand? And, and this is a, if you think about this seriously, this is, this is, there's a whole lot right here. Let me tell you where I stand. The world is full of evil, yes. And there is good in the world. I don't know how much good there is versus how much evil, but this is what I know. There is no amount of evil that can overcome the good. Why do I say that? There's no amount of darkness that can overcome the light. Does that make sense? The world can be awash with, awash with darkness, awash with darkness. But if somebody can light a candle, you'll be surprised how far that light goes. But this issue really is a tree of life versus a tree of the knowledge of good and evil question. Is the evil in the world enough to make you fall off into cynicism and despair? Or is the goodness found in God in the act of the smallest act of faith, the smallest act of kindness, <coughs> excuse me, is that enough for you to tip over into hope? I hope it is. But again, back to, uh, to Smedes. Um, if we say that monsters, this is people who do terrible evil, are beyond forgiving, we give them a power they should never have. They are given the power to keep their evil alive in the hearts of those who have suffered most. If we give them power to condemn their victims to live forever with the hurting memory of their painful pasts, then we give the monsters the last word. 
This is not what should be. This is not, my brothers and sisters, what should um, uh, uh, be. Um, it is uh, reality that we struggle. It is reality that we wrestle. But at the end of the day, I hope you choose the light over the darkness because the smallest amount of light can defeat almost any power of darkness. Um, if you, I don't have to say if you have offense in your life. I know you have offense in your life. Um, and this is what I know about that offense. That offense is like arrow dipped in poison. Uh, the offense slashes through our defenses and hurts us in the moment. Uh, but even if we pull it out, uh, the wound can't heal because the aftermath of the wound is a poison that remains long after the event. And that poison seeps into our lives. It taints our thoughts. It clouds our vision. And if it remains unhealed, it will eventually penetrate our heart and destroy something precious in us. What is that something? That's our ability to live, love, and be loved. That poison will ultimately fundamentally change the nature of our heart, the kind of being that we are. Uh, offense is the poison on the arrow. And even if you pull the arrow out, the poison remains. You need healing. I need healing. It's not even, doesn't really matter how long you've been in church. You need healing. Doesn't really matter uh, a thousand things. You need healing. Um, offense is the bait. And I'm going to come back to this. Offense is the bait that uh, the enemy uses to lure us into bondage. Remember, offense is not about revenge. It's about bondage. Um, great quote, Jonathan Hooley. Uh, forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Isn't that a great quote? Forgive others not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Um, so before we go any further, let's ask ourselves this question. Am I harboring unforgiveness in my heart? I want us to pray for a moment here. Wherever you are, I'd like you to bow your head. Or Jesus, I'm praying that you would give understanding to us. It's so easy for us as, as people who are born into our own sense of right and wrong, our own sense of judgment and justification, our own sense of blame and victimhood. We don't have to be trained to do that. It is the curse of Adam. It is the detritus of sin in us. What's hard for us is not to figure out who did us wrong and who we hate. What's hard for us is to let go the poison fruit of hatred. And that's where we need real spiritual transformation. God, if I'm hiding offense anywhere in my heart, first of all, reveal it to me so I can confess it. If I will start confessing it, uh, repentance will be the natural and feel normal. But if I don't confess it, repentance will always be like a mystery I'm trying to unravel. If I'll confess it, reveal it to me so I can confess it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so, I'm not unsympathetic if you have lived a life struggling to forgive others. Um, even though I've preached a good number of messages to myself and also to others, <laughs> excuse me, that forgiveness is necessary. Um, I would be a liar if I acted like it was easy to do. It's not easy to do, even for the guy preaching it. Why are some 
why are some fair reasons? So if we were going to be fair one to another, and we were going to ask ourselves, okay, being fair one to another, um, what is some reasons why it might be difficult for us to forgive? Number one, uh, I, I would say, is because we have a wrong idea of what forgiveness is. If you have a wrong idea of what forgiveness is, it's going to be very difficult for you to really live in uh, forgiveness. So uh, look at this. Um, Reasons we may struggle to forgive. Number one, we may have a wrong idea of what actually forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Forgiveness is not sweeping it under the rug, so to speak. If someone committed a crime against you, it is according to the right order of authority for you to report that crime. A church has often been too comfortable sweeping things under the rug. And because we're human, we do what all humans do. And if the person is important, we don't sweep it under the rug. And if they're not important, we do. And so status, in many cases, because of our human hearts and our living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, we err on the side of minimizing it for some but not for others. Uh, forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Secondly, forgiveness is not really forgetting what happened. Uh, I know that may that may that may surprise you, but forgiveness um, it's not really forgetting what happened. Um, and finally, uh, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Uh, reconciliation takes two people. Um, if, if one person is willing to forgive, um, and the other person isn't really willing to reconcile uh, to try to make right actions that follow offense. Um, forgiveness is not for them, it's for you. And when you don't forgive them, you don't hold any sin over them. You don't uh, speed up justice. Uh, you don't uh, send forth the angel of judgment to bring final retribution upon them. You just stop up mercy in your own life. So um, uh, if we're struggling to forgive an offense in our life, it might be that uh, we have a wrong idea of what forgiveness is. So let us repeat ourselves. It's not minimizing the offense. It's not forgetting what happened. And finally, it's not reconciling as though it did not happen. Now, I'm all for reconciliation, and I'm all for, as much as humanity is possible, to forgive and forget. Uh, I am... I'm all for it. But those are that's a step beyond forgiveness. This is what I want to say. If they never make reconciliation, you still need to forgive them. If they never change, they go from taking advantage of you to going taking advantage of the next person. If people come to you for advice and you have to warn them against going into business with that person or loaning that person money, if that happens, you still have to forgive them. Forgiveness is not minimizing. It's not forgetting. It's not reconciliation. It is you doing what you can do to have peace in your life. So uh, let me look here. Um, I read this passage, Romans 12 and 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you, you see the apostles doing here? Um, there, there's the arena you control and there's the arena you don't control. We don't forgive for them. We forgive for us. And you're not going to live in real spiritual uh, flourishing as long as you have uh, unprocessed 
anger, rage, and unforgiveness in in your life. Um, and I'll go even further. Um, <clears throat> There, there's times when uh, you, you shouldn't reconcile. Um, you, there's times when you should live with a watchman at the door of your house. You're not going to trust again. Um, they have. I, I'm not. Uh, forgiveness is not about what happens between you. That's reconciliation. Forgiveness is what about happens in you. So whoever has harmed you, and I know they have, whoever has hurt you, I know they have, your best life is on the other side of forgiveness. All right, let's move along. Uh, the second reason uh, that we might struggle uh, to forgive um, is we don't think it's fair. Uh, now, this is a real problem. Um, I am very much aware of how this can feel. Um I have circumstances where I have, as much as it's possible for anyone to know their heart, I have never done a malevolent act toward them, and I've had opportunity. I've never harmed them, and I've had opportunity. I've never spoken in a malevolent way about them, and I've had opportunity. But they have repeatedly, as an act of their very nature, done spoken malevolent words about me um so in my flesh there's this part of me that doesn't think it's fair to forgive um, but i have to be reminding i have to be reminded of the great imbalance between what god's done for me and what i've done for god and because he has forgiven me of so much, I have to get out of the fairness business. Please hear me. You have to get out of the fairness business. In this kingdom of grace, there is no such thing as fair. There's only good. Um, this image is shown to us again and again in the scripture. Some came early, worked all day. They were paid the agreed amount. Some came late, they got the same amount. It's not fair. In this kingdom, there is no fair, there's only good. And God is good all the time. And so um, here we see this reality of uh, the more we seek God's goodness, the less we're interested in fairness. Fairness is a self-perceived thing that puts us firmly in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you hit me three times, I'm going to hit you three. I'm living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I need to seek out that which is good, that which is kind, that which is holy, that which is of God. I need to get out of the fairness uh, business. Again, a great quote. Forgiveness does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember, a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for the future. Remember, it's as though we're on this tightrope on one side of cynicism. Does evil outweigh good in this life we've been given? Does evil outweigh good in this the, these 70 odd years? Or does good outweigh evil? 
can any amount of evil overcome the smallest candle of good? We don't come down on the side of fair. That puts us in the role of death culture, the Pharisee deciding who's good enough, who's not good enough. We come down on the role of good. The a smallest amount of goodness can overcome all of these things. How many times should we forgive? Well, Jesus told Peter that he should forgive 79, uh, 49 times in the same day. Now, if you want to calculate that out, that means you should forgive everybody once every three minutes. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Um, the picture we used as a background, um, I apologize, I don't have the whole picture. Um, that shows, is, is really that story of the, the servant who was forgiven millions by his Lord and instead of uh, having a heart of forgiveness, he went out and threw someone who owed him just a little bit into the debtor's prison. Um, uh, the forgiven, uh, hear me, the forgiven must forgive. The forgiven must forgive. Now, the third reason that we may struggle to forgive. Now, to remember, first one, um, we have a wrong idea about what forgiveness is, so we don't think we can forgive. Second one, uh, we don't think it's fair, so we can't forgive. And the third one, we don't think that we can do it. It hurt too bad in our human power. We're not good enough to forgive. Um, there's good news for that. We don't have to try to do this alone. The Lord said he would walk with us. He said he would walk with us. He said he would change our hearts. He said he would renew our minds and our and our spirits. Um, and so uh, remember 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. The Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest uh, on me. And so uh, this is this third reality. I'm, I'm not strong enough forgive. It's to, it, to for, it, uh, it still hurts too much. Yes, um, you're going to need healing for that. You're going to need supernatural connection for that. As long as you're living in your own sense of fairness and justice, you can't do it. There's no sense how much you come to church if you're going to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll just make death culture out of church. Uh, and now you'll use your favorite scriptures to judge others, not to speak of hope beyond judgment. Um, you have to be changed in your heart. You have to be transformed by the victory of the second Adam. The first Adam gave you a curse. The second Adam gave you a blessing. Christ is that second Adam. And so uh, we have an opportunity if we will begin the work. You want to be free? You want to be free? We're going to have to start with some actions. That means in your life, you need to think about the offense that has come, the pain, the wounds. You know, sin, uh, demonic powers, is actually fairly simple deliverance compared to the problems of the heart. Let me give you an example. The Lord brought Israel out of Egypt uh, pretty directly. Now, he hardened Pharaoh's heart a few times that he may show, show his people his power. Um, he let Pharaoh rail against the Lord to show the people his power. They came out with a mighty hand, with a mighty hand of God evident that was intentional, that they might have their faith built. They got out of Egypt pretty quick. Um, but how long did it take to get Egypt out of them? A whole generation died 
the whole generation died in uh, the wilderness because it was a lot harder to get Egypt out of their heart than it was to get their heart out of Egypt. <laughs> Does you see? And so it is in our life. That's why I'm spending time on forgiveness. Um, you can repent at an altar, and in that moment, the Lord knows how to forgive and forget. But the very thing we don't know how to do, He knows how to do. And that's a representative of an ideal. We turn our hearts toward Him. We uh, drink of the water He spring. You know, it's like the woman at the well. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me to drink. Um, we drink at that water um, because He knows how to do it. He is life, and that life was the light of men. And you, you see what I, you see what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's hard for us. It's hard for us. Sin can be washed away with a simple prayer of repentance. If you haven't repented um, before this night's over, kneel down, repent. If you need the uh, power of the enemy out of your life, that's fairly straightforward. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Changing the heart, though, that's some hard work. That is choosing the tree of life, choosing to turn away from the death culture of judging and hating, striving and comparison, comparing, living in cynicism and gossip. That's the hard work. Uh, so let's talk about forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. When you forgive someone, it's going to feel like a decision and not an emotion. But we have to make that decision day after day. Um, if we wait until we feel like forgiving, or let me say it differently, if our feelings dictate our spiritual lives, we will always live according to the reality of this world. We will always live according uh, to the reality of this world. God is inviting us into a new reality. If we dare to believe God and choose to forgive, our feelings will follow our decisions rather than the way of Cain, which is our uh, decisions following our feelings. Instead of merely reacting to what happens to us, we make a choice to live in the tree of life. We make a choice to turn away from judging others, a choice to turn away from gossiping about others, a choice to quit talking about the neighboring churches around us, even the neighboring denominations. If God's in it, you don't want to speak about God. If God's not in it, nothing will come of it. We want to stop that life, the very thing that makes people hate church. We turn away from it. The very thing that makes some of kids who grew up in the church swear they'll never darken the door of a church again. They hate that culture. They hate that judgment. They hate those whispers. They hate that sideline look. There, look, if that's what you want, there's churches like that. Go find one. But I'm going to drive you crazy here at First Church we, in, in C3. Uh, one church, two locations. We choose the tree of life. We choose the tree of life. I choose to see the good in God's chosen. I choose to see the, the, the good in you. Yes, people have hurt me. Yes, people have embarrassed me. But God has invited me into a new reality, and I dare to believe God, and I, I dare, and I invite you to do also, we dare to choose to be the first to forgive. Not for them, for us. And we find that if we'll do that, if we'll confess our wounds and our feelings will follow our decisions, and instead of merely reacting to what happened to us, we choose as an act of love and worship, we choose the tree of life. And we live out this truth. The forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. Do I repeat myself? 
the forgiven forgive. Isaiah, uh, let's go to Ephesians 4 and 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Isaiah 43:25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. A picture of forgiveness for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Oh, my brothers and sisters, what a, what a powerful way to live. So what shame is in your past? What rejection is in your past? You've got to let it go. You got to make a decision to let it go. I'm not saying it'll feel like you should let it go. I'm not even saying it'll feel like you have let it go. I'm saying you confess it, you forsake it, you make a decision to let it go. Because unforgiveness is a trap. I want to show this to you. Unforgiveness is a trap, an offense is something that we consider to be a violation to what we know is right and fair. Uh, We're convinced of our rightness. Why? Because we're born in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We decide what was good and bad. And so offense is us living in that cynical judgment of others. We need to understand that the enemy uses offense to hold us captive and to keep us from moving forward into the freedom that God has for us. This word offense in in the Greek uh, comes from a word, and um, I'm not good with Greek pronunciation. I think it's scandalon, uh, from which we get our words such as scandalous and stuff like that. Um, But this word offense, um, when it's interpreted originally in its original Greek um, language. And, and you should know as a Bible student, we have many, many, many copies of the New Testament Greek. We don't have many copies in Hebrew. Um, uh, and we don't have, we don't even have many copies of the Old Testament in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic mixed in. Um, but we have lots of copies of the Greek New Testament. And um, that is where you'll see this word scandal on. Um, and let me show you how the word is used. In Old Testament times, uh, when someone wanted to trap an animal, they would cover a pit with branches and they would piece, they would place a piece of flesh on top of the branches to lure the animal into the trap. You know what they called that piece? Um, scandalon. That snare is called scandalon. It draws you over the trap and then you fall into that you fall into that uh, trap. I think this is so fascinating uh, that, that the word offense would be translated as uh, from this word scandalon. It is a trap. So let's talk about traps that Lucifer lays for you. Five common scandalons, snares, baits. That's the key, that's the word really that I think best brings the image to our our our, our mental theater. The bait. Here is the enemy's bait. Five common snares that lead us into a heart of unforgiveness. Number one, 
betrayed. When we are betrayed by a friend who lied, perhaps a spouse who didn't stay forever or loyal or betrayed by a confidant who a confidant who broke our trust, it feels like acid in our soul and we do not want to forgive. And if we stay in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we will live the rest of our life saying, I'm never going to forgive them for that. But really, you're not harming them any. You just went for a bait that left you in a pit. And now the bait has imprisoned you, not them. Secondly, falsely accused, to be uh, misunderstood, to be the subject of gossip and slander. Um, most false accusations in, in the church context, at least to my way of thinking, is when people misunderstand your actions um, and they, they decide you did something because they saw you somewhere. You, I mean, you may, may or may not have done it, um, but you're being judged because of a little bit of presupposition. And this false accusal is heartbreaking because it destroys friendships. And maybe you find out the person who falsely accused you wasn't really a friend after all, but it wounds you. And it, it's, it's a bait over a snare. And then you fall into a life of unforgiveness. Third, um, rejection, whether it's by a spouse, a friend, a trusted authority, even a church. There's a lot of church here that finds its source in rejection. Um, people are going to do you wrong in church. It's part of the church experience. And if you can't overcome it, it's a sign that you've never surrendered to real transformation. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm not saying that any church should have a right to do it. I'm just saying offenses must come, and that's not my opinion. <laughs> that's Bible. Offenses must come. Now, I hate when it's me who offends. I really, really hate when it's me. Um, I, I mean, I, I can, I, 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 I honestly, I just can't sleep if I feel like I've really offended somebody. Um, but offenses must come. And if that's all it takes for you to stop seeing the good in the church, then you've fallen off your balance into a cynical worldview. And you are living in the cynical worldview. You are. And you've forgotten that a little bit of goodness can overcome any amount of badness. You, you've not learned how to say, is there anything good happening at church? Is there anybody there trying? To live cynically, to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is to think that darkness overpowers the light. And to live your life as though if there's any preacher who's ever done anything wrong anywhere, then all preachers are guilty for it. <laughs> if any church has ever organized itself like a cult or dominated people or took, taken advantage of people, if one church has done it, they're all guilty of it. You have inverted the order of the kingdom, and now there's no amount of goodness that can overcome any light, or that can, there's no amount of light that can overcome the darkness. Because you've seen enough darkness, it's all bad. Do you see how you've inverted? You refuse to see the light of the gospel? The Bible says when you won't see the light, it's because your deeds are evil. Uh, read Romans chapter number one sometime. And so, uh, finally, finally, we have this um, uh, rejection, uh, uh, or we have, or let me say, number four, we have abuse, emotional, physical, verbal, a sex, and even sexual abuse. Um, I'm telling you what, it's formative. You need spiritual healing. You need psychological healing. 
Um, we're not against appropriate therapy by people who are trying to help. Um, you may have come up in a context where no one talked about anything and you're the kind of person that needs to talk about it. Uh, the church should not keep you from that. Now, the, I, I would I would encourage you to find some counsel that where they they have a hopeful view of the world and they believe in healing. Um, but we're not against fi finding the right care. Abuse will um, have downstream consequences for you. Lastly, humiliation to be haunted by a spiritual or excuse me, an embarrassing moment to be ashamed or disgraced, to be laughed at, to be mocked. These are all uh, common snares that hell would like to invite you into so you can live a life of prison. But now let me show you something that is intentional uh, in the Gospels. Everything that is common to you happened to Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas, a friend, one of his disciples. He was falsely accused by religious leaders, by several courts. He was rejected by Peter, one of his closest con confidants. He was abused, beaten, tortured, cursed, crucified on a cross. Finally, he was humiliated, crucified, displayed naked as he hung dying. Everything that's common to you Jesus has already gone through. In fact, the Bible tells us he was in all points tempted like I am and you are. And he overcame. And he's inviting us to get out of this cynical slant where we fall off the dividing line of our lives into cynicism. If there's any bad, there's no good. If one church is bad, they're all bad. If one usher harmed me, they're all looking to harm me. You're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're living a death culture. And there's a few things I'll know about, I know about you automatically because I've lived there. Number one, there is no joy in your Christianity. There may be duty, and you may fake it when they play your song at church. But when anybody sees you in the quiet moments of your life, there is nothing but pain in the micro expressions of your life. You're faking joy. Secondly, what do I know about you? Because I've lived there. There's no freedom of surrender to God because you expect bad things to happen. You have a negative faith. It's not that you don't have faith for something to happen. It's just you expect bad things to happen. I've been there. Let me tell you something else I know about you. Everything you would do for God has become a duty and you're looking for ways to get out of those duties. You're not looking for ways to connect for those duties. You're looking for ways out of them. Let me tell you the fourth thing I know about you. If you keep living this way, none of the youth around you, whether they are spiritually young, people you've won to God, or the children you are raising, or the young Christians you're spending time off, none of them will want what you represent to the kingdom of God because you smell like a corpse. There's a better plan. Let go of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let go of the person who humiliated you. Don't worry about whether they get theirs. Leave that to God. Free yourself. One hand at a time. Climb out of that pit. And you'll notice, as soon as you start trying, the hand of God reaches down and does what you cannot do. Pulls you out of that pit of despair. You come out of that pit. 
live with that innocence of hope where you believe this. Sure, there's a lot of evil in the world, but if there is one person giving a cup of water in Jesus' name, that will shine lighter than the darkness. Yeah, there's tragedy in the world. Yes, there is. But if there's one people speaking hope to a fallen hour and broken-hearted generation, that light will make a difference. Tilt your life off of the dividing line, away from cynicism, and tilt toward hope. Get out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Get out of the pit of deciding who's good and who's not. Um, let me give you three actions. I told you this was not just about understanding starting this week. It's about actions. Number one, you're not perfect either. And people could look at the, the bad things in you and decide that you are on net. In other words, you net it out. You are a bad person. What people think about you is determined by what they look at. And if they do to you what you do to others, you find one or two bad things and you decide they're all bad. There's no hope for you. You have badness in you. Um, and so repent of it and forgive others, knowing that God has forgiven you more than you'll ever have to forgive anyone else for. Uh, the second action you can take um, to tilt yourself toward the life of seeing the good and away from a life of cynical excuse is to focus on the real enemy in the story that we are all living. Uh, people are not our enemy. Um, the devil's our enemy. Um, people are deceived, confused, and trapped in a cycle of trying to make their own sense of a tragic world. That's why there's so much existential angst. You know another way to define existential angst? You try to make sense of a world filled with pain. That's existential angst. Um, there is an agent of darkness that has conspired to confuse the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, where we would not seek life in new innocence and new hope. You say, this is all sounding too Pollyanna-ish. Maybe we should all just gather around and sing Kumbaya. Honey, if that'll help you, I'll do it. I'm not asking you to see goodness in the government. That'd take a lot of asking, wouldn't it? I'm not asking for you to see goodness in politics. Politicians are a unique species of human. And in order to do their job, they have to be. They have to take an immense amount of hate and rejection in order to ever get to a level where they might have influence. Of course, they're unique. Um, I'm not asking you to believe in uh, corporations. They want to do good as long as they can do well. <laughs> they're perfectly willing to do good as long as they can do well. They're not so willing to do good if they can't do well. And before you climb on your hobby horse, I bet you're just like them. I, I know I probably am too. So focus on the real enemy. There is an agenda of darkness where hell conspires to make this earth the kingdom of darkness. And the Lord has given us as believers the opportunity to be agents of light in this world where the agenda is darkness. If it feels like a contest, it is. But it's not a contest between God and the devil. It's a contest between those who have chosen the tree of life and those who have chosen the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And finally, 
receive in your life the promised love of God. Why do I say promised love of God? Um, hopefully it will eventually feel like emotion. Um, hopefully it will feel like emotion. Hopefully when we sing our songs, you'll lift your hands and feel the emotion of it. But whether or not you can receive the emotion of it in this season of your life, please receive the promise of it. And please stop living by emotion. Please receive the promise of it. Um, receive the love of God, the promised love of God. Um, that will do more than anything else to help you turn away from cynicism and despair and start believing that the smallest amount of light can make a difference in your world. So um, let, let me end up with this. Um, I, I'm going to I've got too much. Um, let me end with some daily steps. Um, some daily steps um, to help. And I'm going to move through this fast because uh, I've kept you for a while and we started late. Number one, pray for people who have offended you. I'm not saying you have to pray for them with earnest feelings of hope, joy, and kindness. That may come someday. But right now, grit your teeth and pray for them. Society tells us to return evil for evil or at least isolate. Uh, Jesus tells us if we're going to have different results, we need to respond differently. Number two, bless people who have offended you. I'm not saying you'll feel like blessing them. I'm saying start with confession and then make a decision. And you will find it's possible to do it as a way of being, not a way of emotion. Um, and this is something that is, again, not demonstrated um, in our culture. Um, they do the opposite. Um, but the Lord says this, Luke 6, 27, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to think about, but it is necessary uh, to do good to those who have hurt us. Um, let's end with asking ourselves this question. Um, have, are there people in my life that I have not released to the Lord? It's a, it's a fair question. It's a hard question. Is there any things that I still relive and I want to clench a fist? I would suggest that if you don't have things that still hurt, you may not be honest with yourself. You probably very much, you probably very much do have things that are hard for you to uh, live out and forgive. Um, but let's be honest with ourselves. Is there real pain in us? Is there still things that we hold against others? Is there still anger? Is there still rage? I'm going to say for myself, if, if I say no, I'm, I'm, I've forgiven everyone, I may not be honest with myself. So let me say this. The first step for me to help is to admit that there may be people I need to forgive, okay? That might be something I need to do. I need to forgive. Um, so let me ask, having made that confession, let's ask ourselves this. Are we praying every day about that? Are we confessing it every day? I probably have unforgiven issues in my heart. That's fine. There's a term for that. It's called humanity. That's not the problem. The problem is whether or not I'm confessing it every day. 
turning away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and instead turning my heart toward a kingdom of the good, not a kingdom of the fair. Uh, fairness will come later, do you see? Fairness will come later. There's a day when the rights will be made wrong. The level, the, the broken places will be made whole and the, the, the low places lifted up. That's all coming, but not now. We're not in a kingdom of fairness. We're in a kingdom of goodness. And so that means every day I turn away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Who deserves to get what? Who was blessed? Who is being taken care of or not? Who got elevated or not? The pastor said their name three times preaching. He ain't never said my name. Oh, you poor darling. You are just shaking that tree. <laughs> get out of that tree. Choose innocence. Choose, yes, a, 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 a turn away from cynicism. Turn, turn toward that innocence of a child. Choose a kingdom of the good. Get out of the fairness business. Choose the good. Let God be the one who is just. And if I'm not willing to do that, you know what I mean? You know what I know about me? I'm, I'm, my tendency is to live in the knowledge of good and evil, to live in the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to decide my own justice, decide who's good, who's not, who I'm gonna help, who I'm not gonna help, who I like, who I dislike. Because if I'm not praying about it, that's where I'm living. I want freedom. I want you to have freedom. We have got to daily go into his presence and turn away from the death culture of judging other people and instead embrace the kingdom of the good and say, I want to be like you, Lord Jesus. Pray with me wherever you are. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we repent of the transgressions that are in our life. We repent of the hidden uh, unforgiveness. Uh, we've learned to cope but not forgive. And then we wonder why we're the one in prison. We wonder why mercy isn't flowing in our life. We wonder why our relationship with you seems dutiful and strained. Lord, I'm praying today that we would embrace goodness and we would repent and we would forgive. I want to confess that I have a tendency to remember. I'm not going to confess the, the circumstances. It wouldn't be appropriate in this forum. A forum. Lord, I'm going to confess I have it in me. And if I'm not daily turning away from it, then <laughs> what am I going to accidentally wake up in the tree of life? I have to be led by your spirit, oh God. I have to crucify this flesh on a regular basis. I have to repent daily. That's my only chance to have my mind change from the pattern of this world, the pattern of the thoughts of judgment and turn toward you where I can celebrate your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I want to I want to end with a proclamation and I'm going to put it on your screen and I'd like you, if you will, to say it with me. It's based on Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. And I'd like us to end by you saying, wherever you are, this proclamation. Will you do that with me? Just speak loud into the room where you are. I do not repay evil for evil. Now, why are we saying this? Because this is what we're instructed in Romans 12. I do not repay. Say it with me. I do not repay evil for evil. I am careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
if it is possible, as far as it depends on me, I will live at peace with everyone. I will not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, because God has promised he will handle it. On the contrary, if my enemy is hungry, I will feed him. If he is thirsty, I will give him something to drink. And notice this, I will not be overcome by evil, but I will overcome evil with good. Did you see that declaration at the end there? Remember the, the, the balance of cynicism, criticism, com comparing ourselves one with another versus innocence, ideals, hope, childlike faith. One believes that there's no amount of evil that cannot be overcome. Evil is the darkness and there's no amount of darkness that cannot be over overcome by an act of goodness. The other one is a judgment of the world that there is no good in it because the evil, the pain, the sorrow vastly outweighs anything that is good. I'm choosing freedom today. I hope you are too. God bless you. We love you. We thank you for all that uh, your time. I want to real quick take you to the church website. Uh, let me do that right now. Um, if you go to the church website, uh, you will see this um, right here. Um, that first church, clt.com. And you click right here on Midweek Connections. Uh, this third tab, you click on Midweek Connections. Um, the next page will come up and that will give you directions to all the midweek opportunities that we have. Um, early morning prayer, there's the link to early morning prayer. Um, a breakout's normally on Monday night of uh, Pastor Anthony. Um, we're not doing it right now because Pastor Anthony's taking a sabbatical. Um, it will come back at some point. Um, Tuesday night, staying connected with our women's Bible study. Um, and of course, tonight, Wednesdays in the Word. Um, that will, um, uh, that's uh, streaming live. And then Thursday night with Pastor Don, um, house to house Bible study. We love you. God bless you. Have a great week in Jesus' name. Uh, Sunday, check the website for our, our service times. We'd love to get to know you. Take a chance on us. God bless you all. We love you. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us. Thank you.